It's time for another journey back through the golden history of Hollywood and another podcast from WarnerArchive.com. I'm George Feltenstein from Warner Brothers, and I'm proud to be your host for this podcast. Today's podcast features a Lux Radio Theater broadcast from 1940, starring Raymond Massey recreating his motion picture and Broadway stage role as Abraham Lincoln in Robert E. Sherwood's play, Abe Lincoln in Illinois. This was one of the biggest box office hits of its year, and a radio broadcast on Lux Radio Theater was often a way a studio would use to promote people going to the theater to actually see the motion picture. Accordingly, we're happy to share this with you on this WarnerArchive.com podcast because Abe Lincoln in Illinois is being made available on DVD and electronic download for the very first time through WarnerArchive.com. So let's take a trip back to 1940. The place is CBS. The recording studio was in Hollywood. The star was Raymond Massey, recreating his Broadway and film role as Abraham Lincoln in Robert E. Sherwood's Abe Lincoln in Illinois. Lux presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Raymond Matthews, Betty Banker, and Otto Kruger in Abe Lincoln in Illinois. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. When I was a boy, there were thousands of people alive who had known Abraham Lincoln, had watched his inauguration, heard him speak at Gettysburg, and looked on as a train draped in mourning took him back to his beloved Illinois. But tonight he lives for all of us again, portrayed by a gifted star, Raymond Massey in Robert E. Sherwood's great play, Abe Lincoln in Illinois, a Pulitzer Prize drama on Broadway and a distinguished motion picture. Mr. Massey starred in both productions and brings the stage play to Los Angeles this week, which gave us just the opportunity we'd been waiting for to get the original star in a radio adaptation of the Sherwood play. As Mary Todd, we present another favorite of Broadway and Hollywood, Miss Faye Banker, in her first appearance here this season. And as Minion Edwards, a friend of Lincoln, we have Otto Kruger. Abe Lincoln in Illinois is an American father. The story of a young man with a courage, humor, and great heart that makes America American. It's the drama of Lincoln before he became a national hero. A man so simple, friendly, and unaffected that <laughs> the politicians couldn't understand him at all. It's not easy to picture Illinois when Lincoln was a young man. Much of it was backwoods. Politics was strictly a man's affair because women couldn't vote. And the district forum was the general store where you could buy anything from sunbonnets to sassafras tea. Unfortunately for the ladies, you could not buy Lux Perler soap. But the march of civilization brings the progress of beauty. And today, the woman who values her appearance can find Lux soap everywhere. Luxurious, but not a luxury. It's with very special pride now that we raise the curtain on Act One of Abe Lincoln in Illinois. Starring Raymond Massey as Lincoln, Faye Dainter as Mary Todd, Otto Kruger as Ninian Edwards, and Calvin Thomas from the stage cast as Josh Speed. In the early 1830s, a lonely cabin stands on a prairie near New Salem, Illinois. Across its bare logs, the wind blows steadily, creeping through the chinks in the rough wall, fluttering the oil lamp swinging overhead. Sitting at a table piled high with books and papers is Mentor Graham, a sharp but patient schoolteacher. And across from him in the shadows, his pupil, a beardless, gaunt young backwoodsman in ragged clothes. Now for the moon. Every one of us has many moods. You yourself have more than your tell, Abe. They express the various aspects of your character. And so it is with the English language. And name me the five moods, Abe. Indicative, imperative, potential, subjunctive, and infinitive. And what do they signify? Well, the indicative mood's the easy one. It just indicates a thing like loves or is love. The imperative mood is used for commanding, like get out and don't come back. Is that the best example you can think of? Well, you can put it in the Bible way. Go thou in peace, but it's still imperative. 
Here, Abe. This is a speech delivered by Mr. Daniel Webster before the United States Senate. Find me a good example of the imperative move. Well, let's see. While the Union last, we have... A... Let their last feeble glance rather behold the glorious ensign of the Republic. That's right. Liberty first and Union afterwards. Liberty and Union, now and forever, one and inseparable. You must have had them up on your feet cheering at that, all right. Some cheers and some specs, depending on which section they came from. What are you talking about? It was in the debate over the right of any state to secede from the Union. And he proved that without Union, we'd have precious little liberty. Now, uh, go on with the potential move. That signifies possibility, usually of an unpleasant nature. Like, if I ever get out of debt, I'll probably get right back in again. <laughs> Why did you select that example? Nah, it just happens to be the thought that's always heaviest on my mind. Store and trouble again? Yes. Barry's drunk all the whiskey we ought to have sold, and we're going to have to shut up any day now. I guess I'm my father's son. Give me a good, steady job, and I'll fail at it. You haven't been a failure here, Abe. There isn't a man jack in this community that isn't fond of you. Anxious to help you get ahead. I know, just like you, men are sitting up late nights to give me learning just out of the goodness of your heart. Now, Josh Speed and Judge Bowen Green, some of the others I owe money to, want to get me the job of postmaster, thinking that maybe I can handle that since there's only one mail comes in a week. Well, I got friends, all right, but they can't change my luck. It'll always be the same story with me. More friends and more debts. Well, Abe, just bear in mind that there are always two professions open to people who fail at everything else. There's school teaching and there's politics. Well, I'll choose school teaching. You go into politics and you may get elected. <laughs> there's always that possibility. If you get elected, you got to go to the city. I don't want none of that. Oh, what's your objection to cities, Abe? Have you ever seen one? Sure. I've been down river twice in New Orleans. You know, every minute of the time I was there, I was scared. Scared of what, Abe? Oh, it sounds kind of foolish. I was scared of people. Oh, how did you imagine that they robbed you of all your gold and jewels? No. I was scared they'd kill me. Why? Why should they want to kill you? I don't know. Oh, you're a hopeless mess of inconsistency, Lincoln. What do you mean, Mandel? I've never seen anyone who's so friendly and at the same time so misanthropic. What's that? Misanthropic? One who distrusts men and avoids their society. Oh, well, maybe that's how I am. Oh, I like people well enough when you consider them one by one, but they seem to look different when they're put into crowds or mobs or armies. Abe, there's one more thing I want to show you tonight. It's a poem. On death, written at the age of 19 by John Keith. You read it. And death be sleep when life is but a dream. And scenes of bliss pass as a phantom bond. The transient pleasures is a vision scene, and yet we think the greatest thing to die. How strange it is that man on earth should roam and lead a life of woe, but not forsake his rugged path, nor dare he view alone his future doom, which is but to awake. That sure is good, man. It's Hey, hey, Blinken. Morning, Jack. Well, it's come. Letter just arrived from Washington. You're the new postmaster, eh? The new postmaster. Oh, that's nice, Jack. You think I'll be able to carry all the responsibility? <laughs> <laughs> Stand up, stand up, Mr. Edwards. Careful, Mr. Edwards. 
afraid there's nothing else I can do. Come on, come on. Oh, Jack. Oh, boy. Ain't you very drunk, you? <laughs> Abe, there's going to be a fight. What a bird. This is the son of Governor Edwards, Abe. Come from Springfield looking for a little fight, and I'm aiming to a bar. Who's talking, Abe? It'll be worth going to murder. Green. Murder's too good for any goose-livered enemy of Andy Jackson. Come on, boys, get it. Wait a minute, boys, Jack. You forgot what day it is. No, I ain't. But I reckon the force is as good a day as any to whip a politician. Well, he's just got to fight Jack. He shouldn't give preference to strangers. The enforcement of this fight in town, I read as a politician. So you better try a fall with me. Now, look here, Abe. You're stepping into something that ain't none of your business. This is a private matter of patriotic honor. Everything in this town's my business, Jack. The only kind of business I got. Besides, you've seen Hannah down by the grove. He's just to tell you to come on to the picnic, and that means now. You better hurry, Jack, or you'll get a beating from Hannah. Oh. Abe Lincoln saved your hide, Mr. Edwards. I've been sent to calling off the fight just because he's a friend of mine. Because I'm the only one around here you can't lick. Oh. God, Jack. And I'll wait. Oh, I'm afraid, Mother. Well, you've got to listen, I shouldn't have enjoyed taking you home to Mrs. Edwards after those boys have done with you. Well, I was aware of the certain consequences, Josh. I'm deeply in your debt, Mr. Lincoln. No, never mind any thanks, Mr. Edwards. Jack Armstrong talks big, but he means well. Won't you join us, Mr. Hanks? No, Angie. Abe, sit down. We want to talk to you. Me? What about Bowen? Abe, we brought Mr. Edwards here for the sole purpose of meeting you, and with his permission, I shall tell you why. Right ahead, Judge. Abe, how would you like to run for the state assembly? <laughs> when? Now, for the election in the fall. Why? Mr. Lincoln, I've known you for only a few minutes, but that's long enough to make me agree with Josh Speed that you're precisely the type of man we want. The whole Whig organization will support your candidacy. This is all your idea, Josh? Oh, no, Abe. You're the people's choice. What do you think, Abe? Well, it's a comical notion, all right. Don't know as I can give an answer to it offhand, but my first hasty impression is I don't think much of it. Abe, what's the one thing you want most? You want to learn. So this will give you a chance to get at a good library. To associate with the finest lawyers in the state. Oh, I got a copy of Blackstone already. Found it in an old junk barrel. How do I know that the finest lawyers would welcome association with me? <laughs> you needn't worry about that. I saw how you dealt with those ruffians. You quite obviously know how to handle men. Oh, I can handle Armstrong and his boys because he can out-rattle them, but he can't go around saying them when Cardi throwing all the voters. <laughs> we'll take a chance on that, eh? <laughs> I'll take it over, Mr. Lincoln. This is an opportunity unlimited in scope. We're becoming a continent, Mr. Lincoln, and all that we need is men. And now, gentlemen, if you'll excuse me, I've got to be moving on. Goodbye, Mr. Lincoln. This meeting has been a happy one for me. Goodbye, Mr. Edwards. Abe, think it over carefully. This is your chance, Abe. Well, think about it, Josh, but I can tell you now I don't like it. Well, goodbye, Abe. got from New York, too. What do you know about that letter? Oh, I'm the postmaster. Just to know one or two about people's private affairs. I couldn't help seeing that was the handwriting of Mr. McNeil, and I can't help seeing from the look on your face that the bad news you've been afraid of has come. Whatever the letter said, it's no concern of yours. I know that, Anne. But it appears to me that you've been crying. It makes me sad to think that something could have hurt you. You're a Christian gentleman, Adrian. No, I ain't. I'm a plain, common sucker with a suit. He'll say, short, I can't set on it. <laughs> well, sit down anyway, Abe. Here, by me. You're right about that letter, Abe. It's the first I've heard from him in months. And now he says he's delayed by family troubles and doesn't know when he'll be able to get to New Salem again. By which he probably means never. I wouldn't say that, Anne. I would. I reckon you think I'm a silly fool for ever having promised myself to Mr. McNeil. I think no such thing. I like him myself and still do. He's a smart man and a handsome one, and I wouldn't blame any girl for loving him. I guess I don't love him, Abe. I guess I couldn't love anybody that was as... as safe as he Well, then, there's nothing to fret about. I don't believe you know much about females, Abe. Maybe I don't. I certainly spend enough time thinking about him. You're a big man, and you can lick anybody, and you can't understand the feelings of somebody who is weak. I'm a female, and I can't help thinking what they'll be saying about me. All the old gossips all over town. They'll make it out that he deserted me. I'm a rejected woman. They'll give me the sympathy to my face, but they'll sneer at me behind my back. 
Yes, that's just about what they would do. But would you let them disturb you? Just wishing. Just wishing. Just vanity. Something you couldn't understand, Eddie. Maybe you can't understand it, Anne. I got a kind of fantasy myself. It's nothing but vanity that kept me from declaring my inclination towards you. Oh. See, I don't like to be sneaky that either. I know what I am. I know what I look like. I know I got nothing to offer any girl I'd be in love with. Are you saying that you're in love with me, Anne? Yes. I am, certainly. I've been loving you for a long time with all my heart. You see, Anne, you're a particularly fine girl. She's expensive, you're the brave. Those are two things I admire particularly. And you're powerful good to look at, too, so it's only natural I should have a great regard for you. But I don't mean to worry about it, Anne. Only mention it, because if you do me the honor of keeping company with me for a while, it might shut the old gossip's mouth. They figure you'd shut McNeil for someone else, even me. I thought I knew you pretty well, Abe, but I didn't. Why do you say that, Anne? You consider I was too forward and speaking out as I did? No, Abe. I've always thought a lot of you. The way I thought you were. The idea of love between you and me. Well, I can't say how I feel about that, because now you're like some other person in us. I'm meeting for the first time. But I can tell you this much. Now and truthfully, if I ever do love you, I'll be happy about it. I'm lucky to be loving a good, decent man. I've always tried hard to believe what the orators tell us, that this is a land of equal opportunity for all. But I've never been able to credit it any more than I could agree that God made all men in his own image. But if I could win you, Anne, I'd be willing to disbelieve everything I've ever seen with my own eyes and have faith in everything wonderful that I'd ever read in poetry books. But I'm not asking you to say anything now, Anne. And I won't ask you until the day comes when I know I've got a right to. Hey, where are you going? I'm going to find Bowling Green and tell him a good joke. A joke? What about? I'm going to tell him that I'm a candidate for the Assembly of the State of Illinois. Well, there it is, Abe. You're elected. Ladies and gentlemen. Well, I guess we'll have to do my best. My best ain't none too good. I've been here in the assembly for over a year now without accomplishing a blessed thing. Sometimes I think... Hey, yes, there's a man here from New Salem. Says he's got news about a friend of yours. Who? A Miss Ann Rutledge. What about her? She's sick, eh? She's sick, putting near to dying. Ah, that must be Abe now. He said he'd come right over from the Rutledge. Well, let him in, Bowling. Why, hello, Abe. Nancy, I and Josh here have been sitting up waiting for you. Come in out of the west. Hello, Abe. Hello, John. Glad to see you. Nancy. Yes, Abe? She's dead. Uh-huh. Yes, tonight the fevers suddenly got worse. They couldn't seem to do anything first. Oh, Abe, I'm so sorry. Sit down, Abe, and rest yourself. No, I'm, I'm not fit company for anybody. I'd better be going. No, you don't, Abe. You stay right here. You better do what Josh tells you. This is your home. This is where you love. Yes, that's right. And I love you, Bowling and Hank. But I love her more than anything else I've ever known. I know you do, Dave. I know. I used to think it was best to be alone. I was always most contented when I was alone. I had queer notions that if you get too close to people, you could see the truth about it. Behind the surface, they're all insane, and they could see the same in you. And then, when I saw her, I knew there could be beauty and purity. Like the purity you sometimes see in the sky at night. And I took hold of her hand and held it. All fear, all doubt went out of me. I believed in God. And I've been glad to work for her until I die. To get for her everything out of life that she wanted. If she thought I could do it, then I could. That was my belief. And then I had to stand there as helpless as it. Speaking of whirlpool, I had to stand there and watch her die. 
And her father and mother was there to find a God for her soul. The Lord give it and the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what they kept on saying. I couldn't pray with it. I'm, I'm making a pretty poor exhibition of myself and I'm sorry. But I can't stand it. I can't live with myself any longer. I got to die and be with her again or I'll go crazy. I can't bear to think of her out there alone. Abe, wait. I want you to go upstairs and see if you can't get some sleep. Please, Abe. As a special favor to Nancy and me. All right, boy. Here's a light for you, dear Abe. Thank you, man. Good night. Poor lonely soul. Poor lonely soul. After a brief intermission, Mr. DeMille and our stars, Raymond Matthey, Faye Bainter, and Otto Kruger, will bring you Act Two of Abe Lincoln in Illinois. For the next few moments, let's look in on a little home over on Vine Street, where a couple of very young ladies are talking over their first formal party. Oh, Mary, what an evening party. Sweetly, sweetly. I mean, aren't they wonderful? Oh, gosh, I hope we go to Lillian's more. These long dresses make us feel practically 18. So fun. Oh, Lillian, you know what Joe Dillon said? First he said I looked so plain, and then he said, I mean you look well. Doesn't Joe make you think of Tyrone Tyler, kind of? And isn't it divine? You and I both dance every day. Oh, gosh, Mother will be upstairs soon. We better be getting ready for bed. Let's make a dive for the bathroom. Here's a brand new piece of wet soap for you. Why, Julie, David, you mean you're not going to bother about your complexion? Well, it's a good thing Mother can't hear you. Practically dies. I think this is just reckless of a girl not to take good care of her skin, no matter how young she is. But I always use luck soap like she does. You've got to admit, Julie, my mother has a complexion that's simply stupid. Betty is only 15, but already she knows a real beauty secret. Betty has a wise mother, a mother who gives her own complexion regular active mother care, and sees to it that her young daughter does too. She knows that even the youngest complexion needs the protection that Lux Toilet Soap gives. Because its active lather does a thorough job. Gently carries away every trace of dust and dirt. And there are millions of mothers like Betty's mother. That's one reason why Lux Toilet Soap is so very popular the country over. It's a fact that it's as fine a soap as money can buy. Lux Toilet Soap is really pure. And it's laboratory tested for mildness. Complexion that are world famous, just Lux Toilet Soap Care. This luxurious white soap is the choice of nine out of ten screen stars. So why not make it your regular complexion care, too? Get three takes of Lux Toilet Soap tomorrow. And let this fragrant soap with active lather give your skin the gentle protecting care it needs to stay smooth and lovely. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. Act two of Abe Lincoln in Illinois. Starring Raymond Massey as Lincoln, Faye Bainter as Mary Todd, Otto Kruger as Minion Edwards, and Calvin Thomas as Josh Steve. Five years have passed. Abe Lincoln is still a young man, but he looks more than his 31 years. So his youth was buried with Ann Rutledge. His term in the assembly over. Abe has taken up law practice in Springfield. He's returning now from a trip as Billy Herndon, the junior member of the firm, greets him at the door. How's it, Mr. Lincoln? Glad to see you back. How was it on the circuit, Mr. Lincoln? Oh, by the you, you. Did you have an occasion to make any political speeches? Oh, they got me up in this town for a couple of times. Ran into Stephen Douglas. He was out campaigning, of course. And he had some arguments in public. That's good. What is this that you and Mr. Douglas discussed? Oh, don't get excited, Billy. We weren't taking it serious. There was no bloodshed. Well, what's the news here? Well, this letter, I want you to speak at an abolitionist rally next Thursday evening. Billy, I was on the boat coming from Quincy to Halton the other day, and there was a gentleman on board with 12 Negroes. He was shipping them down to Vicksburg for sale, having changed 66 together. 
They were going to be whipped into perpetual slavery and no questions asked. Quite a shocking sight. And you will give a speech at the Lovejoy Rally. I doubt it. That Freeman's League is a pack of fanatics. Thought reasons to him and they scorn you for being a mealy mouth. Let them make their own noise. Hello, Abe. Are we interrupting the majesty of the law? Bowen. I found him at the station, Abe. Hi, Bowen. Call the well, Abe. I'm glad to see you. Not interrupting. Not at all. This young firebrand Billy here was just about to launch into another speech on abolition. Wildcat is, Billy. Can't stand for anybody who wants to remain peaceful. Billy, <laughs> <laughs> my profound compliment. Well, I thought you were opposed to slavery, Abe. I am opposed to slavery. And even more opposed to war, especially civil war. But I see what you're getting there, boy. You're following Billy Herndon's lead. You're doubling your kind hearts with concerns of me. And when am I going to amount to something? Well, we've all been hoping you'd run for Congress, Abe. No, I'm no fighting man, Judge. If I got elected and went to Congress, I might find myself someday having to cast my vote on the terrible issue of war or peace. I want no part in deciding things like that. Or voting to avoid war at all costs at the expense of the union. You always were an artful doctor, Abe. And maybe you'll be lived to the end of the end of your days, avoiding the clutch of your own conscience. Afternoon, Abe. How are you, gentlemen? Nini, come in. Hello, Ninian. Good afternoon. Thanks, Abe. Well, I just called in to tell you gentlemen that you must dine with us. Delighted. We're proudly exhibiting my sister-in-law, Miss Mary Clark, who has just come from Kentucky to grace our home. She's a very gay young lady, speaks French like a native, recites poetry at the drop of a hat, and knows the names and habits of all the flowers. <laughs> Well, I've asked Steve Douglas and some of the other eligibles to meet her. So you boys had better get in early. <laughs> <laughs> You'll uh, be along presently, Abe? Didn't be surprised. Good. You'll meet a delightful young lady. And I'd better warn you, she's going to survey the whole field of matrimonial prospects and select the one who promises the most. So you'd better be on your guard, Abe, unless you're prepared to lose your standing as a free man. Mm-hmm. I thank you for the warning. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, I am your sister and I want the key. Now, you have known Abraham Lincoln for six months. Have you ever given one moment serious thought to the possibility of marriage? I shall answer you, Elizabeth. I've given more than one moment thought to the possibility you mentioned. And I've decided that I shall be Mrs. Lincoln. Oh, Lincoln, you were right. Thank you, my dear. Mary, do you expect me to congratulate you upon this amazing selection? No. I ask for no congratulations, nor condolences either. Well, uh, forgive me for prying, Mary, but uh, have you as yet communicated your decision to the gentleman himself? Not yet. But he's coming to call this evening, and he will humbly ask for my hand in marriage. And after I've displayed the proper amount of size and confusion, I shall murmur timidly. Yes. Well, you make a brave dish of it, Mary. But as for me, I'm deeply and painfully shocked. Now, Mary, I should like to know... I think, Ninian, that this is a matter for discussion solely between my sister and myself. No, I want to hear what Ninian has to say. Well, understand, my dear, I'm not quarreling with you. My affection for Abe is eternal, but I'm curious to know what is it about him that makes you choose him for a husband? I should like to give you a plain, simple answer, Ninian. But I cannot. Of course you cannot. You're rushing blindly into this. Oh, haven't you sense enough to see you could never be happy with him? His reading, his background, his manner, his whole point of view. I could not be content with a happy marriage in the accepted sense of the word. I have no craving for comfort and security. So long as there's forever before me the chance for high adventure. So long as I can know that I'm always going forward with my husband. Along a road that leads across the horizon. And how far do you think you will go with anyone like Abe Lincoln, who is lazy and shiftless, and supposed to stop constantly along the way to tell jokes? You'll not stop if I have strength enough to make him go on. And I'm strong. In Abraham Lincoln, I see a man who sits rails for other men's senses, but he'll never build one around himself. What are you saying, Mary? I imagine it does seem like insanity to you, not to me. I want the chance to save a new life for myself. And for my husband. Mr. Lincoln, he's here. I shall see him. Send him in, please. Evening, Mrs. Evening, Mr. Lincoln. 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 Ev
Won't you come with us and say goodnight to the children? No, no, my dear. No, uh, leave Mary here to keep Abe entertained. <laughs> I don't blame Minion for keeping you away from those children. They all adore you. Well, I always seem to get along well with children, probably because they don't want to take me seriously. You understand them. That's the important thing. But do sit down, Miss Thank you. I will. No, not there. Over here, by me. Did you finish the letter? Yes. You think it's all right? No, Abe, I don't. I think the sending of this letter to Mary Todd would be a most grave mistake. Well, I understand if you will not deliver it for me. No, Abe, I won't. Then someone else will. Yes, you can give it to the minister this afternoon to handle the bride when she arrives for the ceremony. But I hope, Abe, you won't send it until you're feeling a little calmer in your mind. How can I ever be calm when my mind is in this thing? It's settling out of the way once and for all. If you've got eyes in your head, Judge, can't you see that I'm desperate? Got to get out of this, man. I can't go through with it. I've got to have my relief. Hello, Abe. Hello. Good morning, Judge. Are you helping to keep the bridegroom quiet on his wedding day? Best I can, Nanim. Well, I can promise you, Abe, it'll be quite stainless. Elizabeth and I have arranged for a bang-up wedding dinner. Good morning, Mr. Edwards. Good morning, Billy. Oh, uh, Abe, I've only got a moment, and this is the last chance I'll have to speak to you before the ceremony. Well, the fact that the bride is my sister-in-law gives me a little added responsibility in wishing to promote the success of this marriage. And the success it will be, Abe, if only you bear in mind one thing. You must keep a tight rein on her ambition. Uh, my wife tells me that even as a child, Mary had delusions of grandeur. She uh, predicted to one and all that the man she would marry would be President of the United States. <laughs> well, I urge you to be wary. Now, don't let her talk you into any gallant crusades or wild goose chases. You let her learn to be satisfied with the estate to which God has brought her. With which I shall conclude my prenuptial sermon. Well, I'll see you all at the house at five o'clock. And I want you gentlemen to make sure that Abe Lincoln is looking his prettiest. Goodbye, Nanim. Well, Abe, you'd better go along home. That's right. You'll be late for the wedding, Mr. Lincoln. It's not going to be a wedding. Billy, I have a letter that I want you to deliver to me, sir. What letter? Give him, John. No, Abe, this letter will never be delivered. Josh, you've got no right to tear that up. You've got no right. I know I haven't, but it's done. Billy, in that letter, Mr. Lincoln asked Miss Todd for his release. He told her that he'd made a mistake and couldn't go through with the marriage, which could only lead to endless pain and misery for them both. That isn't the truth. What is? I'm not disputing the truth of it, Abe. I'm only asking you to tell her so to her face in the manner of a man. It would be a more cruel way. It would hurt her more deeply. I'd have to tell her that I have hate for her infernal ambition. That I don't want to be ridden and driven onward and upward through life with her whip lashing me in her spurs, digging into me. Her poor little soul craves importance in life. Then let her marry Stephen Douglas. He's ambitious, too. I want only to be left alone. Mr. Lincoln, I may I say something? What is it, Billy? Oh, it's just this. Mr. Lincoln, you're not abandoning Miss Mary Todd. No, you're only using her as a living sacrifice. In the hope that you'll gain forgiveness of the gods for your failure to do your own great duty. Yes, my own great duty. Everyone feels called upon to remind me of it, but no one can tell me what it is. Well, I can tell you. I can tell you what's the duty of every man who calls himself an American. It's to perpetuate those truths which were once held to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they're endowed with certain inalienable rights. That among these are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Are those rights denied to me? Could you ever enjoy them while your mind is full of the awful knowledge that two million of your fellow beings in this country are slaves? Can you take any satisfaction from looking at that flag above your desk? You know that ten of its stars represent states which are willing to destroy the Union? That's your flag, Mr. Lincoln, and you're proud of it. But what are you doing to save it from being ripped into shreds? I'm minding my own business. That's what I'm doing. And there'd be no threat to the Union if others would do the same. In this slavery, I'm sick and tired of all this righteous talk about it. When you know more about the law, you'll know that those property rights you mentioned are guaranteed under the Constitution. And if the Union can't stand on the Constitution, then let it fall. Abe, Abe, where are you going? I'll go up now and I'll talk to Mary. Tell her I can never marry you. And I'm going away. Where, Abe? I don't know. You're quitting, Mr. Lincoln. As surely as there's a God in heaven, he knows that you're running away from your obligations to him. 
And he'll fill him in. And he'll only move Billy, Billy, leave him alone. He's a sick man. Two years later, on the great plain near New Salem, a covered wagon stands in the moonlight facing west. To that wagon across the prairie comes Abe Lincoln. Abe. Abe. I'm glad to see you. You I hear your boy is mighty sick. Yes, he is. Aggie's sending him in the wagon now. He was preaching. That looks as she's given up, don't it? Might be a comfort. Why don't you speak a prayer, Abe? You could always think of something to say. Wait, I'm not much of a hand at praying. I couldn't think of a pleasure thing be any real comfort. Never mind. Sit down, Abe. So you're heading west, are you, sir? You're doing what you and I used to talk about. You're moving. How far are you going? You're going right across the continent. All the way to Oregon. Oregon. We're going to free country, Abe. How do you know it'll be peace, sir? With the politicians selling the new territories piece by piece to the slave trade. Because we'll keep it free if we have to fight for it. Even if we have to cut loose and make it a new country. A new country? Yes, I remember Mender Graham saying once that this country might be split up into hostile countries, just like yours. It'd be a bad day for us Americans if we lost you and your wife and your son and all the others like you, sir. Yes, that's his work. He's moaning in his sleep. He's asking for rest. Don't cry, Eddie. The doctor will come soon. Oh, it's so far. So far from anyone. Anything. Oh, Seth, what will we do? If you wish me to, Mrs. Gale, I'll try and speak a prayer. We'd be grateful for anything you might say, Abe. Oh, God, the Father of all living. I ask you to look with gentle mercy on this little boy here, lying sick in this covered wagon. His people are traveling far to seek a new home in the wilderness. To do your work, God, to make this earth a good place for your children to live in. They can see clearly where they're going, and they're not afraid to face all the perils that lie along the way. I humbly beg you not to take this child from me. Grant him the freedom of life. Let him know the sight of great plains and high mountains, of green valleys and wide rivers. For this little boy is in America, and these things belong to him, and he to them. Ere him that he too may spy for the ideal for which his fathers have labored so faithfully for so long. Bear him and give him his father's strength. Give us all strength, oh God, to do the work that is before I ask you this favor in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross that set men free. I'm glad to see you again, Mr. You may well wonder why I have thrust myself on your mercy in this man. I'm sure you're always welcome. We had to talk to the speed. You've been very late. We've all been greatly concerned. You've been most kind. I'm glad you're restored to help. Now you return to your work, or perhaps you have other plans. I have no plans, ma'am. I only want to tell you that I'm sorry for things that I said on that unhappy occasion that was to attend our wedding day. You wouldn't worry about that. Whatever happened then was my own fault. I was blinded by my self-confidence. I loved you, Rose. And I believed I could make you love me. That I could inspire you to become the leader of men. I believe you were. I didn't think you'd turn that strength against me. Well, you know now I was wrong. Presume again to ask you to be my wife. Hey. I know that taking me back would involve humiliation to you. I'm not afraid of humiliation, What has brought about this change of heart? On the ferry, I met an old friend who was moving west with his wife and child. 
You asked me to go with him after the child recovered. And I was strongly tempted to do so. Hey. But even then, I knew that that was not my direction. The way I must go is the way you have always wanted me to go. And you will never again call me? Or try to run away? I promise you, Mary, that you will have me. I will devote myself for the rest of my days to time to do what is right. But God gives me the power to see what is right. And I shall be your wife. I shall fight by your side. Till death to your spot. Oh, and I love. I love. Whatever becomes of the kid, I'll die, love. Curtain falls on the second act. Before Mr. DeMille brings up Act Three of Abe Lincoln in Illinois, with Raymond Mackey, Faye Banker, and Otto Kruger, I'd like to ask Sally the other question. Sally, are you married? No, Mr. Lewis, but I hope to be. Do you have any brothers? No, I haven't. But Sally... Well, uh, you must have a father. Naturally, Mr. Spencer Taker. Sally, does your father sing in the shower? Mr. Lewis, he does. Well, Sally, tell your father that three professors at the University of Southern California approve of it. They say that under a shower, your voice sounds better because hard walls and water around you reflect the sound. And so the voice sounds resonant and full. They say the water striking your body gives you pep. I'll bet many a man is glad to have a sort of official excuse for singing in the shower. Well, my father has an excuse. If he needs one, you know what it is, too. Certainly, the walls reflect sound. Mr. Lewis, my father sings in the shower because he has much toilet soap to use. And that's something we're singing about because it lathers so smoothly and richly and does such a thorough job of cleansing so quickly. Makes you feel good all over. That's why my dad sings, Mr. Lewis, and he has a swell baritone effect. I'll bet he has, Sally. You're right. The smooth, rich, active lather Lux Toilet Soap gives inspires many a bathtub baritone. Men like that grand, luxurious soap that lathers so quickly. It carries away perspiration. Every trace of dust and dirt, pronto. There's a real job of cleansing the pores. Yes, a Lux Toilet Soap Active Lather Bath leaves a man feeling like a million. So, here's a way to make the men folk in your family happy. Get a generous supply of Lux Toilet Soap tomorrow. You can buy a dozen cakes for very little, you know. Make this fine white soap that you use the family bath soap, too. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. The curtain rises on Act Three of Abe Lincoln in Illinois. his marriage, Abe Lincoln walked the path that Mary Todd had dreamed of, climbed step by step, until at last in a series of debates with Stephen A. Douglas, he emerged into national prominence, the champion of liberty and union. There can be no distinction in the definition of liberty as between one section and another, one race and another, one class and another. A host divided against itself cannot stand. This government cannot endure permanently. I blame. I blame. <laughs> what time is it now, Mary? It's nearly half past four. What? Is it that aid? Men will be coming here in a minute. Oh, they will. I almost forgot. What men? Oh, just some men from the east. One of them's a pretty good idiot named Cremens, and there's Mr. Sturgis. He's a man of fact. Can we be Sturgis? That's the one, and also the Reverend Dr. Barrett from Boston. How are they coming here for? Well, I don't precisely know, but I presume it's to see if I'm fit to be a candidate for President of the United States. Oh, 
I said, oh. they want to find out if we still live in the log cabin and keep sleeping under the bed. And you didn't tell me. I'm sorry, Mary. Not as just slipped my mind. You forgot to tell me that we're having the most important guest who ever crossed the threshold of my house. They're not just Mary. They're just your own business. Yes, rather important business, it seems to me. They want to see us as we are, crude, shopping, vulgar, western barbarians, living in a house of leaks for foul tobacco smoke. You can explain about having the son at Harvard. If I'd only known, if you'd only given me a little kind of a smell to them, why didn't you get on your best suit, no filthy old boot? Oh, Mary, I can't forget. I just know every designation. I believe you would have treated me with more consideration if I'd been your slave instead of your wife. You've never for one minute stopped to think that perhaps I have some interest, some concern, keeping a life we lead together. All right, Mary. I'll try to clean up my food a little. You've seen it all, Joshua Seed. Every bit of it. Corpse, if you could call it that. Change of heart, change back again and marriage. Eighteen years of it. And you probably think just as all the others do, that I'm a bitter magic woman. I tried to kill his spirit, drag him down to my level. Oh, Mary, I think no such thing. Remember, I know a fool. There never could have been another man in such a field. All these years, I've tried and tried to show him away. And all my efforts have been like so many silly waves, dashing against the rock of ages. And now opportunity, the greatest opportunity is coming here to him, right into his own house. And what can I do about it? The must take it. He must see that this is what he was meant for. But I can't persuade him to. I'm tired. I'm tired of death. I thought I could help to save him if I knew he should be. And I succeeded in nothing but in breaking myself. I'm sure if we come directly to the point. Yes, sir. I understand that you wish to inspect the prairie politician in his native lair, and here I am. Mr. Lincoln, it is no secret that we are desperately in need of a candidate. One who is sound, conservative, safe, and clever enough to skate over the thin ice of the forthcoming campaign. Your friends believe that you are the man. Well, Mr. Dixon, I can only tell you when I was first considered for political office that he was in New Salem 25 years ago. I assured my sponsors of my conservatism. I subsequently proved it by never progressing anywhere. Then you agree that you are the man they want? I'm afraid I can't go quite that far in self-esteem, Dr. Barrett. Please understand that this is not an imposition. We merely wish to know you better. To gain a clearer idea of your theories on economics, religion, national affairs in general. In one of your memorable debates with Senator Douglas, your opponent indulged in some of his usual demagoguery about the industrial conditions in the North. And you replied to me that... Yes, I remember these things. I replied that I was thankful that laborers in free states have the right to strike, violently as need be, against authority that is unjust or poison. The Boston Tea Party was a kind of strike. So was the revolution itself. No, perfectly true. But the days of anarchy are over. To put it bluntly... Would you, if elected, place the interests of labor above those of capital? I cannot answer that bluntly or any other way, because I cannot tell what I should do if elected. But we of New England are most anxious to know whether you admit one authority to whom devotion is unquestioned. I presume you refer to the Almighty. I do. I think there can be no doubt as to my submission to his will. I'm afraid there is a great deal of doubt as to your devotion to his church. I realize that, Jackie. They say I'm an atheist because I've always refused to become a church member. What has been the ground to get a church? My own form of worship is obedient to the Savior's own statement of law and God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. to count all the votes in New York, and then you'll be on your way to the White House. Why don't they hurry with it? Why don't the fans come in? They're coming soon enough. And you, Billy, not yet. But the reporters down there, Mr. Lincoln, they want to know what will be your first official action after you're elected. What do you, what do you want us to tell them? Tell them I'm thinking he'd grow in a beard. 
I did? Whatever put that idea into your mind? I had a letter the other day from some little girl that ought to have wishes to give me more dignity. I'll need it if you're lucky. What, Miss Rogers? Take it here. What do they say now? Is anything new from New York? Connecticut. Eight far in the lead. Missouri. That was 35000 What are they praying for? I don't know. Listen to this Christmas. Chicago Times says Lincoln breaks down, Lincoln's heart fails him, tongue fails him, leg fails him, fails all over. People refuse to support him, they laugh at him. Douglas is champion of the people, Douglas King is a living dog. I can't stand it any longer. Yes, my dear, I think you'd better go home. I'll be back for long. No, don't go home. You want to run rid of me. That's what you wanted ever since the day we were married and before that. Anything to get me out of your sight because you hate me. And it's the same with all of you, all of these things. You hate me, you wish I'd never come into his life. No, no, Josh, please step out for a moment. Certainly, yes. Why do you do that? Why do you take every opportunity you can to make a public fool out of me and yourself? Bad enough when you act like that in the privacy of our own home, but here in front of people. I'm not to do that again, do you hear me? You're never to do that again. Oh. I lost my temper, Mary, and I'm sorry. But I still think you should go home rather than endure the pain of this death walk. This is the night I dreamed about when I was a child. And I was an excited young girl, and all the gay young gentlemen of Springfield were caught in me. And I fell in love with the least likely of them. This is the night when I'm waiting to hear that my husband shall become president of the United States. And even if he does, it's wrong for me. It's too late. Congratulations, Mr. Lincoln. The next person from New York will show you in the lead. We've fought the good fight and we've won. Seems to me the battle is just beginning, Mr. Chisholm. Down in South Carolina, they raised 10,000 volunteers. They're arming. The governor has issued a proclamation that if I'm elected, South Carolina will succeed tomorrow. And every other state south of the Dixon line will succeed with it. Can you see what that means? It means war. Might 
Take off their chains and find freedom in the brotherhood of life. We've gained democracy. Now there is doubt whether it is fit to survive. Perhaps we have come to the dreadful day of awakening. The dream is ended. If so, I am afraid it must be ended forever. I cannot believe that ever again will men have the opportunity that we have had. Perhaps we should concede that and admit that our ideals of liberty and equality are decadent and Jews. I've heard of an Eastern monarch who once charged his wise men to invent in a sentence which should be true and appropriate at all times and situations. They presented him with the word, and they too shall pass away. That comforting thought in times of affliction. And this too shall pass away. Yes. Let us believe that it is not true. Let us live to prove that we can cultivate the natural world around us and the intellectual and moral world within us so that we may secure an individual, social, and political prosperity whose course shall be forward, which, while this earth endures, shall not pass away. I commend you to the care of the Almighty. As I hope in your prayers you may remember me. Goodbye, my friends and neighbors. Abraham Lincoln goes on to Washington and his place in this democracy. Now Raymond Matthews is attending to the microphone with Faye Baker for a curtain call. I'd like to join an audience from coast to coast in saluting Raymond Matthews' fine performance of Abraham Lincoln. Thank you, sir. You've given us all so many very great moments in the theater of it. I appreciate that more than I can say. After the playing, after playing the past six or seven hundred times, Mr. Matthews, it's evident that you still like to do it. I wanted to play Mr. Lincoln for about 20 years. When I was a boy, there was a friend of my father's who had talked to Mr. Lincoln, and he told me many stories about him over and over again. It always made him seem much more to me than just a picture in a history textbook. And I think in times like these, this story and himself has a new meaning not only for America, but for the whole world. Ever since I became an actor, I've been hoping that someone would write a play like Abe Lincoln in Illinois. Very fortunately, my old friend, Robert Sherwood, did so, so I had an inside track on the part. Just now, I'd like to say that I've enjoyed my first appearance in the Lux Radio Theater, and I hope very much it won't be the last. <laughs> we'll guarantee that with one hand, and there's a warning finger at Faye Bader with the other. A warning that our next vacation from this microphone is going to be very short. Well, Mr. Norrack's all right with me. Matter of fact, the part behind this radio theater is a regular part of my household. Lux Faith has been my complexion for years. Whether I be working in Hollywood or working in the flower garden on my farm in New York State. Put it in a few words, I like it. I think you'll like our bill for next Monday night, too, Faye. What is it, Mr. Smith? Next week, we're going to have Barbara Stanwyck and Robert Taylor. In one of the world's great love stories, Smile and Through. The drama of a man and woman meant for each other, but kept apart by a strange secret hanging over them from the past. The play was a Broadway and motion picture success. And we predict that Smile and Through will soar again next Monday night with Robert Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck. I remember the stage production, Mr. DeMille. It's a grand show. Good night. Good night. Good night. You've made history of your own tonight. Our sponsors and makers of Lux Pilot Coach join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Barbara Stanwyck and Robert Taylor in Smile and Through. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you. From Hollywood. Heard in tonight's play, the Ted Blitz as Billy Hunden, the Wing Cattle as Anne Rutledge, Ty Campbell as Jefferson, Warren Ice as Mentor Graham, Forrest Taylor as Judge Bowling Green, Claire Videra as Elizabeth Edwards, 
Earl Ross with Jack Armstrong, Lou Merrill as Ben, Ernest Elson as Nancy, and Harry Humphrey and Marcella Powers. Now, an important announcement. As you know, many localities switch to daylight saving time next Sunday. If your community is one of those changing to daylight saving time, you will hear this program at the usual hour. If your community remains on standard time, tune in one hour earlier. Thanks for joining us today for this wonderful podcast celebrating the golden history of Hollywood. Remember that wonderful films that you always wanted to own are now available on DVD and through electronic download through the warnerarchive.com website. Future podcasts await you, so look out for them, and we hope to be with you again soon. Thanks for listening.